Producer Doug here. I just want to talk about Pop Culture Classroom. They are the ones that put on Denver Comic Con, and we want to help support them so that we can keep bringing you all this amazing audio, such as panels and interviews from Denver Comic Con. So let's get right into it. Pop Culture Classroom inspires a love of learning, increases literacy, celebrates diversity, and builds community through the tools of popular culture and the power of self-expression. They envision individuals transformed by the educational power of popular culture who create diverse, inclusive, and engaged communities. They provide quality service to kids and communities, respect, inclusive, and diversity, uh, quality of opportunity, alternative approaches to education, and they recognize each person's intrinsic dignity and importance through open communication, responsibility, and honesty. Did I sound like I read that off the website? I absolutely did, because... Well, I did. I want to get everything right for them because they are fantastic. I recommend going to their website and donating just to keep them going. This fantastic program, plus everything to do for the community, uh, literacy, respect, and of course, Denver Comic Con, so we can bring you all of this stellar guests and panels and Q&As and interviews. So remember, go to popcultureclassroom.org, click on the donate, or just take a spin around their website and check it out. And now, on with the show. Yeah, I, Robin Hitchcock came in like 1981, 1982. And then you were in before any of you were yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, really I was born in the 30s. I'm 112. Yeah. Uh, but then you played in the uh, now, sort of ironically, given your career, the television personalities. Well, the TV personalities was when I was like 15, 16 years old, so that was like 1980, 1981. And then I saw Robin play, and then I went, I want to be in your band. And then he put me in his band, and I just finished being on tour with him. Yeah. So I was on tour with him in England and some of the Midwest and stuff. So if you're ever looking out there and you ever see any of my posts and it says Robin Hitchcock and his LA Squires, that means I'm working. Cool, I know. Storefront Hitchcock is a great movie. Oh, it's Jonathan Demi made yeah. a film about him. That's how cool he is. Yeah. Uh, so really how does one get from playing drums with Robin Hitchcock in England to being in every sci-fi show made in America? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So my, uh, my dad on Father's Day, this is a perfect time to say, but um, my father was always an actor. When I grew up, my dad was always getting beaten up on television. I'd go to school and I'd say, oh, sweet dad, get beaten up on the sweetie last night or whatever. You're nicked. Yeah, exactly. So it was fun. But it was, I was always watching my dad play the villain and getting caught like in the third act at some point. And I was like, I'm never doing that stuff. <laughs> um, he came out here to do Max Hedron. So he came out to LA to do Max Hedron. I was playing, I was opening for U2 at Croke Park with a band called Light a Big Fire, an Irish band called Light a Big Fire, with Lou Reed, the Pogues, and U2. First day of the Joshua Tree Talk. And he was doing Max Hedron. So it was like an interesting thing. He's an actor, I'm not an actor, was the whole point. And then he was here, I came here, and I was like, this is where I need to be. It was just weird. I just loved America. Always loved America. Cars and culture and story and everything else. 
And then I did a play and then sort of became big and sort of did stuff. And that sort of ignores the fact that at 17 years old they tried to put me in films and it didn't work out for me and I got a bit scared so I didn't do it. What's well, the family business kind of? Well, no, my dad, so I always thought my dad's stuff was really different than mine. It is and it isn't. I mean, we ended up doing a lot of the same things even together. You played the same character. played the same character a couple of times and different things. But it's, you know, I tried a different approach to it. But it's, you know, you can't get away from your, I guess you can't get away from your destiny in that way. But to me, the, the, the short answer to all of that is, um, it's just storytelling. There's no better storyteller than Robin Hitchcock. If you want to drive yourself crazy, read his lyrics. Uncorrected personality traits. Oh, that's a, I don't think he actually wrote that. That's a, I think that's actually a thing. But he put it to music, which is terrifying, with a four-part harmony, which is really, really scary. But yeah, everything from Slipping You, The Midnight Fish, to Madonna of the Wasps. Madonna of the Wasps is good. I mean, it's, I love it when he goes to write a pop song. Um, he's the strangest dude. So like his guitar player is Kimberly Rue. Kimberly Rue had a band after, after the Soft Boys called Kimberly Rue and the Waves. Kimberly wrote a little song for the Bangles called Going Down to Liverpool and Do Nothing. And Robin was like, oh, I like that. I'll write a song for the Bangles too. And he sent them a song called Balloon Man. Yes. <laughs> which you could, young Bangles would never record. Nobody um, but Robin Hitchcock could ever record no, that. No, uses phrase Bruce or the word the name Bruce and Balloon Man blew up in my hand in a in a, in a sentence which is kind of interesting. But uh, Kimberly went on to write a song called Walking on Sunshine. So he was quite busy writing pop songs and, and Robin would write things that were just beautifully dark and, and beautifully strange and absolutely not aimed at success at all. I think he's actually allergic to, to sort of mainstream success. Which I, love. I, play, I play drums with him and I'm just laughing at the lyrics half the time because it's so funny. And some of it's tragic, some of it's awfully tragic. His new album is absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing, self-titled Robin Hitchcock. But I, we, we, went to, we went to Manchester to go play the Academy, which was a great show at the Academy. But we, the day before, we went to go to BBC Radio at the new BBC Radio place. I was like, oh, this is really cool. And the, and the DJ was was uh, Mark Riley from The Fall. Yeah. I was like, I remember you from 1980. You know, the world has changed a lot, but it was great to go out there. The other players I play with are amazing players. Uh, uh, Tony Booker is a bass player, he plays with the Finn Brothers. He's a huge record producer himself. And, and Luther Russell, the guitar player, plays with everybody. And um, it was just fun to go out and play. So it's fun to go do at 54, what he used to do at 17, only a lot better. I, I've actually got next month, I'm actually in Modern Drummer for the first time in my entire life next month because I, I, I'm lucky enough to be endorsed by DW and Zildjian and all those amazing companies. If any of you know anything about drums, it's kind of the roles really suit for all that stuff. Screaming and drums. I'm looked after so well, it's such a fun thing to do. So yeah, if you ever see me posting that I'm playing, come say hi, I'll, you know, probably get to spend more time with me. It's amazing how like you know people like you, Peter Capaldi, like these people who started punk rock bands and then yeah. become the sort of mainstream, uh, you know, actors and these huge things. It's fun. It's, it's weird though, they, they never sort of write it in for me. So we're not going to see Crowley. Uh, we have to see so much, it's kind of scary, but they never had me play drums. But yeah, I don't know, it's weird. Supernatural was always weird. They never put me in anything that they thought was going to be fun. <laughs> it's like, I am a 
amazed that I lasted eight years on that show. I mean, I was never, I wasn't put in the French mistake. I wasn't the 150th, I wasn't in the 200th, I wasn't in the 200th. I mean, it's like, it, it, they did everything they can to make sure that they didn't give me any popularity whatsoever. <laughs> so I think eking out a living on that show for eight years, of course. What's not to love? Jensen was, was, was my theory of why Castiel and Crowley are so popular. He was a little drunk at the time, I think, but, I think, but he nodded his head approvingly. Um, it's basically, it, it, you watch Supernatural because you like the brothers. That's what it is. That's always going to be what it is. Um, them and their travails and their, their movement through life and them managing to hang on to each other. But the themes and the stories are very, very strong, and that's why we attract a lot of people um, who, who love those themes and, 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 and are looking for that sense of family and, and, and that sense of caring and bonding between each other. And they do that really well. They are very, very good at it. They're very close, it helps. Um, but that's basically the show. And then underneath those two, you had this idiot angel. <laughs> and this super smooth, suave, sophisticated. <laughs> season five, um, who you guys live vicariously through. It's just, you know, our, our love of the Winchesters mirrors your love of the Winchesters, and I'm just the bad version of it, and it's the good version of it. It's also the cheapest costume you can buy, so that's why you see so many people dressed the same all the time, which is so sad. People dressing their children up as him makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Just to sound like a private detective from the 30s. Yeah, well, yeah, but worse, from, from the 70s, it's yeah. Columbo. <laughs> you saw his Banachek? Banachek didn't have a raincoat, I love Banachek. Oh, Columbo was in the... Banachek was cool. Banachek was George Papad, wasn't it? George Papad. Yeah. God! Who classically would have been in, in anything with anyone, he would introduce himself by saying, I'm George Papad, I'm not a nice man. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna start doing that. <laughs> Sounded like Shepard. Yes, yes, it's true. Shepard's in Shepard. I liked him, especially in the 80s. It was great fun. We'll give you some audience questions. I met Dwight, I met um, Dwight not so long ago from the 80s. I was like, oh my god, you're so cool. Can I take a picture with you? It was so good. Oh no, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, the end thing I was gonna say, well, you do realize I make fun of Misha all the time, but he's busy like building hospitals and bloody schools and orphanages. He's such a sucker. He's the I just like it. It disgusts me. Like there's a random abs. He's completely random. Although I did realize the other day that we used to have to go out to, to Comic Con in San Diego a day before the boys because they were too lazy to go out and work. So Misha and I would be left to do all the publicity for the entire day. And that, all those photos that are really funny are he and I bored out of our minds from saying the same thing over and over and over. And I realized that some of my favorite photographs are on Misha Collins' back. <laughs> he seems like a good piggyback. Who would have known? Yeah, like who would have known? Who's got a question? <laughs> Point. Um, Oh, somebody over there? While we're running, I, uh, do over I love the sign language for that. I the sign you. language for right. that is fantastic. On my right. Far right. Far right. Oh, there you go. Oh, there we go. Sign language for that was. <laughs> <laughs> How did you manage landing the role for today 
Omega and Dollhouse. Who? You know that, you know, you're a badger at Firefly. What was the name you just gave me? Detective Tanega? No, Tanaka. I get a phone call. Well, that's the whole point. I get a phone call going, going Josh wants you to be in Dollhouse. I'm like, really? What is it? Can I read it? I read it, it says Tanaka. I'm like, yeah, I was the first choice. <laughs> so I arrived at the Fox. I'm like, whatever, I arrived at the Fox. And he's there. And I'm like, I looked at him and I went, I'm keeping the name. And he went, he went I knew you were going to do that. I said, yeah. He goes, all right, so he has, well, I know his, his, his stepdad is Japanese. I'm like, no, he married a Japanese guy. That's what I think. He goes, Joe's goes, this is Fox, no chance. <laughs> it's true. So we had a gag in one of, one of the last episodes I did. Oh my God. We had this thing, and me and Tamar were outside, and, and the cops all get called, and I'm there. And he keeps calling me Graham. Like every couple of beats or whatever, he's kind of like, Graham, I'm glad you're here, blah, 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 blah. We do this whole thing, and I'm like, and I, I end up sending the cops away, because I think he's bluffing. It's like a double bluff. It's really funny. And as I leave, I turn around and looked at him and I went, my name is not Graham. I walked off. And for me, that was the greatest gag because you never found out what the guy's first name was. Yeah, no one has it. So it's just... Process what, did he, what did he call it? Tanega. Tanega. Ten no, Tanada or something? He said Tanega. It was blatantly racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, because he can't tell us apart. That's the problem. We all look the same to him. Tell you what. You pronounce that like a tomato tornado. I just thought it was a plain Anglo guy as opposed to the, the inner Asian Meridian. <laughs> he whitewashed you like he did. <laughs> oh, yes, I love that. Hi, I'm a really big fan. I just started. Where are you? I'm right here. Hi. I'm your little bitch. Remember? Cast out. Anyway. <laughs> it's not even good. Have you been drinking? <laughs> You want a freaking prize for that? <laughs> no, no, no. You're in about four years of boredom, that gets really exciting for you. Dancing in seven, it gets about ten, and you go like, what the hell is that really attractive man doing over there eating peanuts? <laughs> and then it's all over, as far as I remember. <laughs>
I was like, I literally was like, oh my. Because my expression on my face is like, that's perfectly normal. I wasn't actually hearing it, which makes it even funny. His name appears, and it, his name appeared as Not Moose. <laughs> Which is way better than Squirrel. But I, I, now that you say that, I wonder if there's all these people that watch it and are like, why does he call him Moose? Is it because of his hair? No, it's it because of his hair. Yeah, it fits. We tried to call him all these names, right? I was calling him Gigantor, Mop-Headed Lumberjack, uh, Giraffe. There was a few of them, Jolly Green. Um, there was a lot of them. They weren't very funny. Season six, and then suddenly it was, where's your moose? And then it was it. That was it. It was Perfect. done. It, and the great thing is, he's got a massive amount of upper body strength. He lies about his height as well. He's six foot five. He lies, um, and he's got this massive upper body. He throws around four hundred pound tractor tires all day. He's incredibly strong, uh, and yet he has legs like a chicken. <laughs> Which to me reminds me of a moose. It's the two tons of muscle on top, built just at the right height for killing you as you drive a car on top. Yes. That's basically It's so scary. David Hasselhoff and Jared are actually the same person. That would be really Oh, yeah, Which is Eddie Albert and Green Acres. 
Eddie Albert does, does seething rage better than anybody. But it's, it's, no, it's just this frustration and then they just bloody listen to me. Yeah, okay. And the, and the knowledge, they're not smart enough to actually understand what he's saying. So that's basically a lot of my characters come from Eddie Albert in Green Acres and David Warner in The Time Bandits. Yes. <laughs> just frustrated with incompetence. Evil. Yes. Oh, Benson, you're so utterly devoid of any intelligence whatsoever. The, the voice helps. <laughs> it's wonderful. He's, uh, he knew my dad very well. He was in the RSC with my dad. He's just one of those. If you guys haven't seen Time Bandits, he's one of those. One of the greatest. Uh, and it also gives you the greatest answer to why that has to be evil. Yeah. It's the best answer ever. Ray Richards is like bopping around in the back and making all tidy up. So why does that have to be evil? I don't know. It's probably something to do with free will. Script when he was directing, 
had to hide his keys, he had to hide everything else. They pried him, Jensen pried him really nicely, Jared pried him so hard it took 45 minutes to clean the set, until he broke his nose. And by pied you mean, I mean physically still alive? No, but the hand's still in it. So, so they basically punched him in the face with a pie box and <laughs> Perfectly put, sir. Um, I like your writer's mentality. You should go to comics. But uh, yeah, that was good. It was just when Jared was going. Misha. I'm like, what? He's like, how much do you think Misha's car is worth?
the cigarette that, start, that started itself. This was very early on in the X-Files, guys. I'm just telling you. They weren't even a series. They got, they got picked up as a series during that episode. Yeah. So they, they said, we've got this gag for you with the cigarette. I'm like, great. They said, yeah, okay, so you want to do it? I'm like, no, you do it. <laughs> They're like, well, we've only got two. I said, well, you better get it right then. The guy puts it in, and the wire came down the side, and it literally blew up in his face. I was like, oh, okay then. It was one of those, all of the effects in that are real. There is no CGI fire in that entire episode. It's all real fire, which they would never do anymore. So you're at one point, you're all I'm on fire, yes. I'm on fire with uh, rubber stuff. Yeah, rubber stuff. 1,200 degrees of, of nasty. Did they have to come in with a blanket after? No, they, they, they had, the head of Stunts Canada, Ken, was there with, putting me out with a, uh, with a fire extinguisher. But there was a problem. I'm supposed to take a can in my, it was my right arm that went up, and I was supposed to take a can in my left arm and just pour it down the bar and then light these two filaments that are on the bar and it sort of takes over while I'm doing this. And the can wouldn't open. And I'm on fire. Oh God. So I'm on fire and I've got a can in my hand. So I start smacking it into the bar. So my face apparently was so terrifying they had to cut it out. Extraordinarily violent looking and way too happy. We see these are faced, but it's a real fire. <laughs> I thought I was going to do the full body, but they're like, no, you can't do that. So they got a guy called JJ who actually has done three full body burns for me. He has no eyebrows. <laughs> there you go. That's how we got the good. They asked him if he wanted to do a stunt in, uh, in Battlestar. And he was such a huge fan of Battlestar, he said no, because he didn't want to know how the story went. Oh. Yeah, seriously. Kind of cool. Are there any shows you're on that you have that reaction? Like you don't want to ruin the story because you're... Just did that when I was doing Dollhouse. He was like, don't tell me the end. I'm like, I won't tell you the end. He actually turned down directing an episode. Because he said to Ron, he goes, he goes, do I have to know the end? He goes, yes. And he goes, I'm not doing it. It's his show. Yeah, he loved it. <laughs> we're we right in the middle, yes. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, what? <laughs> You've been awake for the last 30 minutes? <laughs> I think you have killed every character you've ever done from x Not literally. <laughs> they tried to kill me. They killed me, haven't they? God, God I've been dead. You've a lot of things. I'm turning into Sean B. <laughs> uh, so my question is, what do you think are the similarities between Badger and Crowley. I don't. The only common denominator is me. That's the best similarity. His attractiveness. <laughs> sexiness. You said suave over there. That was good. I like that. No personality traits? Brings us back to the Robin Hitchcock song. Yes, it does. You really should look that song up. That'll be your answer. Go Google uncorrected personality traits, download that song, and there's your answer. And if you can remember the lyrics by the next time I see you, I will give you a prize. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Only in a comic <laughs> Over here? And back. Yep. Yes. Where? Yes. Red shirt. Red oh. Yep. The away team. It's alright, they'll be dead before the end of the question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, wanted to ask you, um, you got a great cast, great crew and everything. I want to you know if you can give me any 
Quick story about one fight to work with the great Jim Beamer. Well, he's a good kisser. Very soft Soft as lips. Jim also didn't start as an actor, which is fascinating. We got the picture. What? We have the picture? Is that where you go? I found the other one. Ha. I found the other one. See if I got it to hand. But Jim started as a writer. He, he... Jim is a fabulous human being. He's a, a Vietnam vet, God bless him. World's leading expert on George Reeves. He is, absolutely. Always sad, one of the saddest actors of all time, I think. Um, not not uh, Jim, George. Yeah, George. Uh, he's a truly fantastic man. He's a wonderful human being. He's a great dad, especially to say this on Father's Day. He's a wonderful dad. His book and is fantastic. He's just got, I think he just got engaged. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Makes me very happy. He's a lovely lady. I'm trying to find. Oh, ooh. I've got, I've got the best one which nobody's ever seen. So, Jim knew about kissing me uh, like for a while. This was written and everyone was making fun of him the entire episode. Right? And then they had to do it. And he was fine until we actually had to do it. So, intellectually, he thought this was yeah, no big deal. And then he went to do it. He was really uncomfortable. And I have proof. Barry Corbin, who's like, I'm worried about my career. Barry Corbin's like, 
career. You tell you're talking about. You're an actor. You work, you don't work. You get old, you look back, you go, oh shit, look, I had a career. Ever <laughs> something you realize you had when it's over? Like, okay. You can worry about that stuff. Hi, Mark. <laughs> I do, yeah, for once. Um, first, I'd like to thank you for all of your That was actually the scariest response I've had all day. Hi, Mark. For once. <laughs> for once. <laughs> Soon it will be twice. Soon. I want to thank I'm you. I'm going to build an entire character on this. <laughs> What advocacy? Just standing up for people. It's really nice. <laughs> um, I was going to ask a question about the conduit, but I've been meaning to ask this for several years. Uh, what was your favorite, like, reading a script and being like, this is the most awesome cultural reference I get to say? Like, in the X-Files, you get, you say, I'm the caretaker, and which is a reference to The Shining, and um, Doctor Who reference on leverage and things like that. I got to say Doctor Who exactly. I got to have a bigger on the inside moment. I got to be part of Battlestar, which is the greatest cultural statement of all time. Someone's kitchen. I mean, I can only ask the Alligator X story so many times. Which? The Alligator X story. No, silly stories. But the um, I sat in kitchen one time, and he said, "There's two types of people in the world." Really? And he said, yes. There's those that think ancient Rome had a purpose, and those that don't. <laughs> That's how you get to write Battlestar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all of this has happened before, will happen again. It's like really scary. I love the principle. You build, you build robots. You want to build a better robot. You want to build automated robots. You want to build better Teslas. You want to build all these things. You go, what's the one thing you want them to be able to do? Okay, we want you to be slightly autonomous. Yeah. And in order to make them autonomous, you give them the ability to think and perhaps feel and adapt to their surroundings. And then after a while, they work out their slaves and kill you. That's brilliant. Where are we? Where are we? Over there, I can tell by the eager waistcoat. Most of the pole moving, 
there's, there's the three times. <laughs> very significant in my, my time on Supernatural. My first day in the Kiss uh, to Al Harvey Gold. The back of his neck was wet and clammy, and he fought me the entire time. And he's been just go with it, just go play for Kissing it was his script. He was like, ooh. Uh, he, he was just like standing off, just going. First day. And then when they were beating me up in the chair at the end of season eight, he brought in a machine with the number taken. Walked up. I'm first. <laughs> anytime, anytime I ever got too full of myself, he'd show me the ticket. <laughs> Have you catch this in yet? Yeah, it's a man that's climbed Everest. He's pretty cool. I'll get a phone call. See who's calling me. Could be, I mean, it's Jim. It's probably Jim being like, I hope you didn't show that picture. That's my son. It's Will. Oh, hi, Will. Hey, Will. Hey, Will. You're on. You're on speaker, by the way, from a couple of thousand people. TV or whatever, but we made TV with our friends. 
and we you know, 150 people on the set, we put that together, we work our asses off for eight days, and then it disappears into the into the ether where a bunch of very smart people work their asses off to make it even better and invent the knock loose and the you know baby got back moments that we all have <laughs> and the incredible special effects and, and the smoke that comes out of my ass and nose and all the rest of it. Um, that stuff's incredible to me and that's that's wonderful. But we're not it's not the same thing as having an audience. I love doing this because I can see your faces most of the time, I can see faces. And the reaction is an organic reaction, the same for me as being on stage and playing drums, the same as being on, do you do stand up? You know exactly that the audience is in the entire key to the success or failure of your act. You can have the greatest three minutes of the world. If, even if they're not with you, you can still have the best three minutes of the world. Sometimes if they hate you, you can win. But it's, it's, it's gotta be, there's an organic connection between, between an artist and its audience. And the reason we come, my friends come to this, the reason why I told Matt Smith come to a convention sometime, and he did, is because this is what we love. This is the greatest moment of all of it. Seeing your smiling faces. You know, you take a photograph of us, that's a, that's a six second memento of our time together. We sign an autograph, maybe we get a little bit of time to say something, and I get to see you, I get to see your faces, I get to smile with you. But this is what I love to do. This is my favorite thing in the world. Thank you for all the things that you do behind us, the, the things that you do on our behalf. Misha, as much as I hate him, and, and Jared and Jensen and everybody else, and all the causes that we've put together. We've raised a lot of money and done a lot of good things. If you're having a hard time right now, if you're struggling right now, know that this is probably one of the safest places you could be, and there's an awful lot of people that are exactly the same as you if you just look around. If you're scared, if you're scared, put your hand out. Somebody will be there to help, I promise. It's not impossible. We'll just get through today. That's what we have to do. I love you all. I think it's fantastic. I'm going to put out one final t-shirt, I think, this week. I'm going to put one final one out for Camp Comrade Chile, which I love to do. So I think it's, you know, it will be my last Supernatural t-shirt, I think. I want to uh, I want to thank you for your support. I want to thank you for, for being a wonderful moderator. And I want to thank these guys for, for, I just hope to God they're not faking it. <laughs> and I remember, did you ever see the one that you know? Oh, yeah. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I want to say thank you. I love you. And I hope to see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.